Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. You're about to discover how geeky I really am. I've been watching over this past week the general election results programme on the BBC, but not the one of December 2020, or 2019 rather, but the one of June 1970. 50 years ago, but I'm a right geek, aren't I? Um, it's the first general election, actually, I remember. Um, I was very young, his dad, I was a very young boy, but I do remember it being, and I remember asking my dad in the morning when I was getting up for going to school, who had won the election, and he informed me that Mr Heath had for the Conservatives. So there we are, even from a young age, I was interested in politics and in history. But it's been actually, for me anyway, a very interesting okay, event to watch it, um, in small doses, I hasten to add, um, apart from any um, questions about the, the technology and the, the layout of the studio and the presenters um, who appeared on it, um, David Dimbleby appeared on it as a young reporter, and so did a number of others who still appear occasionally, at least on radio and television today. But what is interesting is that many of the issues that have been discussed 50 years ago, frankly, really haven't changed. There was a debate then, as there is now, about Europe and our relationship with Europe. There were issues to do with immigration then, as there are now. And the whole question of communities coming together are perhaps being divided. There was the issue about industry. In those days, heavy industry was already beginning to show the decline that was to become particularly marked later on in the 1970s and the 1980s. And indeed, some of the constituencies are in areas of great industrial decline in 1970, that today are facing similar decline, not because of heavy industry going, but because of the sites where many of the modern shopping retail parks were made, the Trafford Centre, um, the Metro Centre, even, dare I say, Brayhead here in Glasgow. These centres of um, modern business and commerce, these retail cathedrals, are themselves now under the pressure of COVID in decline. And there's indeed one or two of the companies who own these big sites have declared bankruptcy. It's interesting, after 50 years, there's been a rise and fall of successions of industries, of commerce and of retail. It's great, it's true, that God's word is so relevant. When the writer to the book of Ecclesiastes said that there was nothing new under the sun, how true he was. Yes, technology was in its infancy. Computers were there in the programme in 1970. No doubt all the technology they had then could now be summed up and used in, in a phone, a mobile phone. But nonetheless, the issues, the personalities, the pressures, the problems that people faced 50 years ago, in many ways, haven't changed. And I think it's good for us to have a knowledge of history and the setting not only of our secular times, but of the history of the church. That's why one of the reasons I believe very strongly in educated ministry, people like myself being university educated, is because I think it's important that we come to read God's word with an understanding of the big story, the big story of God's word, and the big story of God's word in God's world in our times, in our history, the history of the church, the history of our society, the history of our world, because through all of that we see great unchanging truths that are relevant today as they were 50 years ago or 500 years ago or indeed 5,000 years ago. 
we've been looking in these past days at the book of Acts in the New Testament, a foundational book for us, yes, written 2,000 years ago about events that took place 2,000 years ago, and in many ways, culturally, in terms of what was available, in terms of technology and everything else, very, very different, and yet some of the real issues and some of the real settings and problems and potentials that are explored in the book of Acts some of them, indeed many of them, are relevant for 2020 and the decade that lies before us. So, so let's turn to God's Word and let's read the story of the past that has potent significance for today. The book of Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts chapter 4. And let's read these verses. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We reflected these last couple of weeks on what took place one day, isn't it, isn't it? Back to chapter 3 and verse 1. One day. Little did Peter and John knew, in a sense, what was going to happen that day. We saw last Sunday how they went out and how they were used by God to not only bring healing to that man at the beautiful gate, but also to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ, Peter writes in chapter 3, or speaks in chapter 3, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And he goes on to say, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. And then he goes on to say, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And we saw last week particularly how that focuses on what is the core mission of the church. The church can exercise his mission in many different ways, in different settings, different cultures, different times, different eras. But there has to be a core message, and that message is Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, through whom and only through whom can our sins be forgiven, can we know the spiritual refreshment that God offers, and can lives be transformed with the power and the hope of the gospel. That was what Peter and John were bearing witness to that one day. And that message that day is the same message this day, today, and until the Lord returns. But of course, that caused a reaction. The positive reaction was, of course, that people believed. We're told in verse 4 of chapter 4 that many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 
Now, in those days, it was the head of the households that were counted, so that's 5,000 households that were there. So we're talking about many more than 5,000 people who were believed, who believed the church had been born on the day of Pentecost, as Peter had preached then. We read that day that 2,000 men believed. Now it's 5,000 households. God is at work. The ripple effects of the gospel are going out. In a sense, the virus, although that has a very negative connotation, but nonetheless, the virus of the gospel is spreading. It's infectious, and it leads not to death, but to life. And we know that because of what happens. The temple guards, the captains and the priests are stirred by the message. They feel threatened. After all, Peter has made it very clear. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You disowned him before Pilate. You killed the author of life. Peter has very clearly pointed the responsibility of what happened on the cross to humanity, to a fallen, sinful humanity that looks after self rather than seek the interests of God or of others. And the religious leaders particularly were caught up in all of that. They had stirred the crowd. They had motivated sinful men. They had played along with and, 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 and sought to um, capture and use Pilate, the Roman governor, for his, uh, their own ends. And so they had been involved at the very heart of all that took place. And they are now, we're told, greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It shouldn't surprise us, should us, that in the book of Acts, following on from the gospel story, particularly following on from Luke's gospel, but following on from the gospel story, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so central. Easter isn't just an event in the calendar, celebrated as it was this year at the beginning of April. Easter day is vital to the faith. That's why every Sunday we gather on the Lord's Day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That truth of God revealed in Christ died on the cross for our sins, raised from that grave for our justification, for our redemption. That stands at the centre of the faith. That's why it's so wrong, as I mentioned last Sunday, where even within the church there might be those, not within our own church, I hasten to add, or within our own denomination, but within the wider church there are those who would play down the name of Jesus, who maybe wouldn't want to even over, overly emphasise who Jesus is and the fact that he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father to God apart from him. They would want to play that down. They would want to play away or certainly mysticize the resurrection, that it was some ephemeral kind of supernatural event, which it was, but there wasn't a tangible bodily resurrection. They want to tone that down because, well, how can you expect people to believe that today? But my friends, that message is central today, central today. When we see all around us how quickly and how dramatically and how powerfully the frailty of human life is revealed, then surely that message of God's eternal hope offered in Jesus Christ is central to the proclamation of the gospel. It was that message, proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, that both caused many people to believe, but also stirred a negative reaction amongst the religious leaders. They had done away with Jesus. They were quite happy to see him die on that cross, and they just wanted nothing more to do with him. But his resurrection from the tomb and the power of the gospel celebrated at Pentecost was turning their plans and their own idols of self-interest upside down. And that is no different today from 2,000 years ago. Just a matter of days ago, I had, in many ways, a great privilege, although a very sorrowful experience it was, to sit beside a dear sister in the Lord, 
who at that point, thankfully things have changed slightly, but at that point was facing imminent death. It was a critical situation that had just blown up, appeared within a matter of hours, and I was called to sit in the accident emergency in the emergency receiving unit with this dear lady and her husband and immediate family. And she is a woman of faith, and in the midst of great pain, and in the midst of the great trauma of all that was happening, she was at peace. What a tremendous and powerful testimony to the hope of the gospel. And at that point, they were going to prescribe, in order to make her more comfortable, a medication that would basically cause her to fall asleep. Indeed, she said that. When she was told about it, she looked to me and she said, I'm just going to fall asleep. And as I took her hand and squeezed it in my hand, I said, yes, I mentioned the lady. Yes, I said, but when you wake up, it will be the resurrection morning. And her eyes and her face was filled with hope as in faith she claimed that promise that in Jesus the resurrection of the dead is a reality. And so this is a message 2,000 years ago, but also was a message that I had the privilege of sharing with someone just a couple of days ago. Thankfully things have moved on slightly and now there seems to be perhaps some hope for a continued earthly journey. But sooner or later all of us will face that ultimate reality. 44,000 people in our country as a result of the virus have faced that ultimate reality and many others have faced a challenge in their life where death seemed to be more possible or more likely. How vital it is that as a church and as believers we proclaim the resurrection of the dead found alone in Jesus. And as we read on that, evidence of that resurrection is seen. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, that's religious leaders, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot, cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak, to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what, they, what had happened. For this man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The evidence of the confidence, the new confidence of the rebirth of these disciples who were now apostles was seen in their own lives. We're told that the men realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note of the fact that these men had been with Jesus. Think of the courage of Peter standing up in front of the very people who had put Jesus on the cross and saying to them, saying to them, as he had said, Rulers and elders of the people, verse 8, if we have been called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, notice again, 
Peter, making it clear where responsibility lay, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The evidence stared these religious leaders in the face. These men, these unschooled, ordinary men, were transformed. They had a holy boldness, a godly authority, and a clarity of mind. They were not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Indeed, they wanted to make it clear that there was no other name under heaven given to mankind by which men and women must be saved. Their confidence was in Jesus Christ. And surely today, that's one of the most powerful witnesses to the gospel, ordinary unschooled in a sense, men and women who have a holy boldness and who are courageous in their testimony about Jesus. Now that may be done in a very different setting from Peter's setting. It's often done actually in a setting where there is perhaps a challenge or where questions have been asked or where circumstances or events have taken place that have caused people to begin to think. And we know that this is a God opportunity and unschooled and perhaps in many ways we are. We've not been at university. We don't have doctorates in theology. We're not professional ministers. But nonetheless, as ordinary believers, as that dear lady just a couple of days did, lying in our hospital bed, facing death, and yet in our peace, testifying to the hope of the gospel. So all of us, if we're true believers, can bear witness to the Jesus. And we do that because we're convinced that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. However much a vaccine may be looked forward to in dealing with COVID-19, however much we hope that with the pubs reopening and the restaurants reopening and industry began to reopen in our country, that there might be an economic upturn and a revival of financial fortunes, however we may invest and plan and purpose for our well-being or our safety, we must remember that above all of that, beyond all of that, through all of that, there is no hope apart from the hope that's offered in Jesus Christ, not only for this life, but for hereafter, for eternity. And Peter and John were bold in that proclamation. And then we see that there was a man standing in front of them. I mentioned earlier, the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. In those days, that made that man quite old. Nowadays, if you're over 80, you might be regarded as being elderly. And those to being over 40, you certainly would be regarded as being in your older years. And yet here he was, standing and praising and thanking God. The impact of the gospel, transforming a life, transforming a lifestyle, transforming the way we think. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul tells us, but be transformed. The renewing of our mind, your attitudes, your ways of seeing things, your ways of behaving, indeed perhaps even your ways of looking as, we, as, as our life and our values and our behaviour is changed by the power of the gospel, that is a potent witness to the good use of Jesus Christ, to the resurrection power that brings you life even to those who are dead. And that was seen before them. They couldn't deny it. And that too is a powerful witness today. That's where often as a church we lack. So few of us actually are people who have been tremendously converted from darkness to light, from unbelief to faith from a wayward lifestyle to a life lived under the ways of Jesus. And, and while we shouldn't be chasing after dramatic testimony just for the sake of it, there is a lack often of such a testimony that I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. What a powerful witness to the gospel and to the crowds, 
to those who believed. There was an impact on the wider community. We already spoke about the fact many believed. We, we read that they couldn't decide how to punish them in verse 21 because all the people were praising God. There was a knock-on effect. The, the, the things of God and the ways of Jesus were making a broader impact in the local community. We can still do that today. We can do it using means like this online through the internet, through Zoom, through live streaming. That's why as a church, we're pressing ahead with getting the internet put into the church and high quality internet so that we can go into that marketplace and make an impact for Jesus in that. But we can also do it within our own community through our relationships, through the way we speak to people over the counter at the shops, or chat to our neighbours, or are simply seen about our community at a time of great stress and strain. There has to be that wider community impact. All of that stared the religious leaders in the face. The evidence was real. And as time is pressing on, lastly, let's read on. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they praised their, raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What was the result? Well, Peter and John already had challenged the religious leaders when they were told to keep quiet, to stop speaking or teaching at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, we're told, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's sight, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They weren't going to be intimidated into silence. They weren't going to be bought off by threats or forced to stop speaking because of threats against their well-being. They weren't primarily concerned about their own safety. Indeed, we're told that when they went back and reported everything that happened, they together, God's church, raised their voices to the Lord. And that prayer in itself is so important. First of all, they acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They, they acknowledge how pertinent God's word is, the reality of a promise spoken through your servant David, verse 25. And in a sense in prayer, quote back to God what God had already prompted David thousands of years before to write. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together. They recognize the relevance of God's word given in, pa in the past to the situation they face today. Ultimately, they recognize that there was a spiritual battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the principalities and powers of this present age. They speak about Herod and Pontius Pilate meeting together with the Gentiles and conspiring against their servant Jesus, but they also recognized God's sovereignty. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God's, God's sovereignty and human responsibility are two sides of the one coin. They recognize that. And then they ask, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Can I say this is a word for today? 
rightly, of course, in the present crisis, certainly over the past few months, we've been concerned about our own well-being and safety, and also the well-being and safety of others. And many of us have, 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 have had to think that through and work what that means out in our practice and our behaviour. And of course, none of us should be flouting medical advice or ignoring the directions of our government. But as I've said in the past, so I say again today, especially as we begin to move out of this lockdown period, safety first is a rotten motto for the Christian, a title of a sermon preached by one of my predecessors in the middle of the 1930s when there was great crisis and challenge in the society and in the world in which they lived. Safety first is, we should not be concerned, and it saddens me sometimes, brothers and sisters, when I hear Christians speak about needing to look out for their own safety. That should never be a priority in our life. Of course we should be careful. Of course we shouldn't be going about causing other people to be ill or anything like that. But so often our obsession with self and self-safety is because actually we've not taken at heart that the message of the gospel is about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. This is a passing. This three score year and ten or four score is a passing thing compared to eternity. And it's how we see today. It's how we live today. How we understand today, which will determine how we understand and experience eternity. And these servants of Jesus Christ, they didn't ask for safety. They asked for God's boldness so that they might proclaim the good news of Jesus. In an unprecedented way, the Church of Christ in our country has handed over to the secular power, to the state, the right to be able to determine when we meet, how we meet, what we do. And that may have been right for that season. But be warned, my friends, be warned, my friends, the church must be wary of allowing the secular powers in the state to determine what we do. Church history tells us that that is a dangerous and deadly road to go down. And we need to pray that in these challenging days, God's leaders and his church and God's people themselves will have increased boldness and will be able to discern where it's right to obey the state and when it's right above everything else to obey God, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. And that's a message for today as much as 2,000 years ago. And look as we flashed. I'm conscious it's a bit longer today, but I wanted to get this passage finished in a sense. Look at what happens. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God's Spirit came down. My friends, the church in Britain badly needs to see that. The church in Britain is weakened. The church in Britain in so many ways is spiritually impoverished. Even those parts of the church that seem to be so alive are actually so caught up with self. So much of what they say, so much of what we hear, even in terms of music and everything else, panders to keeping us feeling better about ourselves. How wrong, how dangerous and how ungodly that is. Christ above all, should be our goal, our aim, and the lover of our soul. And when that and the holy boldness that comes with the Holy Spirit is connected together, that's when we see God powerfully at work. They spoke the word of God boldly, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is a message, not just for 2,000 years ago, not even for 50 years ago when many of the things that led us into the mess we're in today were already beginning to come to the surface and the church was silent then. But now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord for 2020. 
how we need to heed it and respond to it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do thank you for your word. There's so much in it. We thank you for his message. We thank you for his clarity. And we thank you for its relevance to our life and to our living as your people today. Come, O Holy Spirit, and take your word. Apply it to our lives and to the life of your church. Dig it in deep into our soul and into the souls of your people so that in this day and in this generation, we, with holy boldness, may live and proclaim Jesus Christ, in whom alone there is the resurrection of the dead, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.